Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Most of you know me, but for the whole world that's out there, I'm Mark Walters. I'm one of the elders here. It is a thrill for me to speak to you. Um, I probably say that every time, and you think, oh, yeah. Do you know by the time I'm so geared up to speaking? Like yesterday morning, I was up at 4 o'clock, and I started going through everything again. I was almost late for the service last night. Because for the fourth time that day, I had rewritten my stuff, and Cameron was concerned that I was going to be here on time. I thrill to present the Word of God, and I want to do it in truth, so we can get a better glimpse of who our God is. And I'm going through a couple of things this morning, like, my world's so small. Last night when I spoke, I had to use a microphone, and it's like tying one hand down. It's like, how can I talk with one hand? And then this morning, I come to church, and it's like, I just preached this last night, and I have to get my head around it again. And then I can't even comprehend that anybody in the world today could go online and see First Baptist Church. I just, I live in a small world. Hey, let me ask you this. We're going to be in Psalm 129 this morning. Have you ever been rescued? I mean, seriously rescued. You were in trouble and would perish had you not been rescued. Well, let me tell you a story. Back in about 1962 or 63, the Walters family made a huge trip. I mean, this was like the trip of the century because we got on a train here in Holland, Michigan, and we took a train all the way to Tucson, Arizona to visit my dad's sister and family. So the Walters loaded up and went to Arizona. What a deal. This was the first time this boy ever left Michigan. I can remember thinking that. I'm leaving Michigan. It was like I was going to another country. So we get to Arizona, and it is hot. So one afternoon, we decide we load up all the families and we go to the community pool. And we're going to go for a swim. What a great day. It was hot. The water was great. We're jumping off the diving board. We're having a lot of fun. Meanwhile, while the kids are all having fun, my mom is on the shallow end of the pool. And she's trying to see if she can swim and make it halfway across the pool. My mom was not a swimmer. So she's over there and she's trying to swim and if she can make it. Well, she decided she could make it halfway. And that meant she could jump off the diving board. So mom decides to come over and get in line for the diving board, and she waits her turn, and then she walks out to the edge of the diving board. And she stood there. And she stood there, and she stood there. And this little eight- or nine-year-old kid is back here like, come on, Mom, come on, Mom. You know, I'm like waiting my turn. And so I thought, well, if Mom can't do it by herself, I'll just help her. So I walk out to the edge of the board and go, somewhere between the diving board and the water, 
my mom's memory completely failed her because she forgot how to swim. She hit the water, came up sputtering and trying and going, help, help, help. And as a kid, I'm thinking, paddle a little, kick a little, mom. But I'm also thinking I'm in trouble. And uh, so mom's there. She's trying to swim. She's going down. I mean, she's just bobbing. She's not getting closer to shore. Finally, somebody, and I don't even remember that there was a lifeguard. It was not the lifeguard. Somebody from the side of the pool jumped in, grabbed my mom, and rescued her. My afternoon changed a little bit that day. Um, But I wondered to myself, how many times did my mom remember being rescued that day? She would have perished had she not been rescued. This morning, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm, um, Psalm chapter 129, we're going to look at the nation of Israel. And let me read these first couple of verses for you. 120, Psalm 129, starting at verse 1. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let Israel now say, from my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. But they've never been able to finish me off. My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. My enemies have persecuted me. Let Israel now say, the enemy has persecuted me. Doesn't that just bless you this morning? Aren't the Psalms great? I read this and I thought, where is God going with this? And then we talk about plowing. Well, who are we talking about? My enemies have persecuted me. It's not an individual. In fact, we're not even sure who wrote the psalm. Uh, Some suggest Hezekiah, but um, not real sure who wrote the psalm. And he says, my enemies have persecuted me. He's speaking for the whole nation of Israel. Our enemies have persecuted us. Our enemies have persecuted us from our youth. Well, where's their youth? The youth, where's the youth of the nation of Israel? Of Israel. So let me take you back away to Israel, where it gets started. And we have to go back to the book of Genesis to do that. And boy, we just have to shorten the story way up for you this morning. Joseph ends up in Egypt, second only to the king. And he had prophesied, or interpreted the king's dream rather, <clears throat> that there would be seven years of great plenty, there'd be seven years of famine. And that came to pass. And during that great famine, Joseph's family ends up coming to Egypt. Seventy-five people come to Egypt. Joseph's family arrives. The end of Genesis, uh, the end of the book of Genesis says, and Joseph died and was buried there in Egypt. So now, let's fast forward uh, about 400 years, and we're in the book of Exodus. And now this family of 75 is thousands and thousands of people. They have grown to a huge nation. This is the youth of the nation of Israel. And he says, my enemies have persecuted me. Well, you know what? After all those years, after some almost 400 years, this king doesn't remember Joseph and his family coming and how they got there and why they are there. And so this king now looks and he says, there's a lot of people here. And you know what? If they would rise up against us or if our enemy would attack us and they join our enemy, we're toast. 
So the king says, let's, let's, let's make them our slaves. And so they put them and they have them as brickmakers and as farmers and they're working the nation of Israel. They're literally afflicting them. They're, they're oppressing them. They're, they're down on them. They're trying to hold them back. And it was so much so that the king said to the midwives, when you go to deliver their babies, kill the boys. And the midwives wouldn't do it. And they said, well, man, they always have their babies before we get there. And then the king said, well, throw the baby boys in the river. Yeah, like everybody's going to do that. And one mother doesn't. She gives birth to a child named Moses. We have to go really fast here. Moses grows up to be a man. He comes back to Egypt. God speaks to him in a burning bush in the middle of the desert. And the amazing thing is, that little bush should have been consumed in no time. And the bush wasn't consumed. And Moses is amazed. And God speaks to Moses and he says, I'm going to deliver this great nation. And I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses goes back and he tells the people in Egypt, God is going to deliver you. And they agree that's a good idea. And they go to the king. And the king says, well, if you have... And uh, they go to the king and they say, let us go out into the wilderness and worship our God. And the king says, if you have so much free time, why don't we just work you a little harder? So instead of giving him straw to make bricks, he says, you go find your own straw, but you have to make just as many bricks yet. Well, that's next to impossible. And they're out scurrying and trying to find enough straw to make bricks. And they can't do it because they have to make the same amount of bricks every day as when the straw was supplied and they're struggling to do it. My Bible says their taskmasters were brutal. They were so cruel to them. Um, they whipped them to try and get them to produce more bricks. This is the beginning of from my earliest youth my enemies have persecuted me. Let us now say, my enemies have persecuted me. And Israel, we'll see in a little bit, went on and on in their struggle all along. The next part of the verse, the next verse says, yet they have not prevailed over me. Now that doesn't do much for you, so let me help you here. Remember, this is a song. So Ken, maybe at the close of the service, you'd like to lead us in this song, if you could, please. Um, all right, I know that's hard, and you're not going to want to do it when I'm done, believe me. So this is a song. Look, this is actually a climax to what's happening here. He's saying, my enemies have persecuted me, my enemies have persecuted me, yet, wait a minute, they've not prevailed. But this is a song, so let me set it up for you. Stephen's over here on the drum, and he starts his song. Dum, dum. Where's Roland this morning? We need him. He's over here, and he's way down here, and he starts picking it up, all right? I love it, okay? And then all the other guitars start playing, and the bass guitar, and then the piano and the keyboard start, and then the accordion starts, and we've got a couple of violins that'll start with us, and what other instruments have I missed? Anything here. And all of those instruments now have grown. I just love, like, remember when they played the TSO song here a couple of years ago? And there's that little introduction, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, and it breaks into the, okay, that's, that's, that's what I want here, you know, okay? So in the midst of the song, they've not prevailed over, or they haven't, they've um, persecuted me, they've persecuted me or afflicted me, yet they've not prevailed, okay? And this music just breaks out, and then the choir starts out, yet they have not prevailed over me. They probably won't ask me to be on the praise team. But I'm not done because in my head, 
The men are going, no, never. And the ladies are going, no, never. No, never. No, never. I do that because I want it to stick in your head. I sang this 10 times in the shower this morning at the top of my lungs. Because here's what I want you to get out of it. You can forget that I can't carry a tune, or you can forget that I'll never be on the praise team. But I want you to say this to you. Do not forget that your enemy will never prevail over you. Because God made a promise to his people that he would take care of them. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, God said, You can be sure that I'm watching over you, and I've seen what's happening in you to, I've seen what's happening to you in Egypt. And God says, I promise to rescue you from the oppression of the Egyptians, and I will lead you into a land now occupied with Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and um, Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites and into a land flowing with milk and honey. God says, I promise you, I will deliver you, and I will bring you there. And no, the enemy can never, never prevail against you. And that is the promise that we have. Don't ever forget that. But I want to tell you something. This psalm is not about the enemy. It's about the God who delivers you. Listen, God said, I would not let them prevail over you. And even though he released them and let them go into the wilderness, a couple days later, Pharaoh goes, Ah, oh, what have I done? I've let these people go. And as they're going out into the desert and, and, and coming to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's coming right behind them, and the Bible says the people can see Pharaoh coming, and they're terrified because they know one of two things is happening. They're either going to go back to Egypt as slaves, or he's going to come and to kill them. And they're terrified. And the first thing the Bible says is they cried out to the Lord. And the next verse says they complained to Moses. And I wish they'd have stayed with the Lord a little longer. It's like they cried out and they still see Pharaoh coming. And then it's like, okay, Moses, why'd you bring us out here? But God wasn't done. And God says to Moses, stand and watch and see the Lord deliver you. And Moses reaches out his staff over the water. And God parts the waters and the nation of Israel crosses on dry ground. In fact, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 106, it says they went through, and it was like the ground was like the desert. It wasn't just mucky or sloshing on their feet, or it wasn't just barely dry. It was dusty when they crossed. It was like the desert, and the walls of water stood up against them like this, and the people passed through. And I have to say, I wonder if anybody touched the wall of water. I would have, Okay. God delivered them. But that's not the only time God delivered this nation. They get out in the desert a ways, and it isn't too many chapters later, and we see that they're being attacked by the armies um, of the Amalekites. And Moses stands there, and he lifts up his hands, and as long as his hands are up, they're winning, but he gets tired, and he starts to put them down, and Aaron and her help him hold his arms up. And God gives them a great victory again, and their enemy does not prevail over them. And then in Exodus chapter 23, I just love this part because they don't even have to do anything. The Bible says God used hornets to drive the people out of the land. Have you ever messed with hornets? 
when I was a kid, I was over at my cousin's house, and, and the three of us, we were out in the woods, and we saw this big paper. It was big then. We saw this big paper hornet's nest, and what we decided to do was we'd throw rocks at it, and then as soon as we hit it, we were going to run. Well, the idea was really good back here, but the problem was I didn't have a big arm, and it wasn't real accurate, so I had to keep moving up and up and getting a little closer. And finally, when we did hit the hornet's nest, we took off running. The hornets were faster than I thought they were, or I was a little slower than I should have been. Yeah, I got stung. My eye was all swollen shut, and I can remember my aunt doing some home treatment on me for hornets' bites and stuff. Listen, when there's hornets, you don't stand around, and God used hornets so that the enemy wouldn't prevail over me. He drove the people out. In Joshua chapter 10, as Joshua and his armies face, face the um, Am. Amorites, God sends hail. And the Bible tells tells us that the hail killed more of the enemy than what the soldiers did. In Judges chapter 6, Gideon goes with his army, and he's got potential to actually defeat the other army, and God says, no, that's not the way it's going to be. And he reduces Gideon's army to 300, and he goes out against an army that's like the sands of the sea. There's so many of them, and he defeats them, and God says, your enemy will not prevail over you. And in 1 Samuel 17, David faces Goliath, and a small boy faces a giant of a man with a slingshot and a stone, and God says, your enemy will not prevail over you. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 20, Jehoshaphat and his people face, I think it was the Moabites. And God says, you just watch. You won't have to do anything. I'll defeat them. And Jehoshaphat takes his army and he begins marching to where the enemy is at. And as he gets about there, he says to the people, he says to his soldiers, how many of you guys can sing? And so all the singers start coming up to the front of the, the, uh, the column there. And he says, here's what I want you to sing. Um, I have it written here somewhere. He says, I want you to sing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And so Jehoshaphat and his army, as they're marching forward to face the enemy, they start singing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And when that happens... Uh, there were two or three, there were th- actually three armies that came together that were going to attack them. The armies started fighting each other in their confusion and turned on each other and killed everyone. All three armies killed each other. And when Jehoshaphat and his army crested the top of the hill to the lookout there, when they looked out, they saw planes just covered with dead soldiers. And the Bible tells us that there were so many that they went out for three days picking up the plunder, the spoils, the goods of that army and gathered it together. And they didn't have to lift a finger because God would not let that army prevail against them. The next verse. My back is covered with cuts as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. Farming today is way different than it was back here or years ago. And one day my dad and I were sitting out, or we, we had been driving, and we stopped alongside the road at the homestead where my dad lived and grew up. 
And there was a field there, and it was quite narrow, but it was very long. And it had just been plowed. And we could see that they plowed it the long way. But my dad said to me, when you plow with the horses, you'd never plow the long way. You plow the short way. And what you do is every time you plow and you get to the end of the field, you turn your horses around and you stop and you let them stand for just two minutes. That way your horse gets some rest and you can go a lot farther, get a lot more done by just letting that horse rest. So when they say here they plowed long furrows, really they never plowed long furrows. What they're trying to say here is, you know when they were whipping those um, when the Egyptians were whip, whipping them and beating on them for not producing enough bricks, he said, it's like they just laid our backs open. Like He's trying to draw the picture and make it bigger. It wasn't just they cut us. They laid us open, our whole backs, these brutal guys. And, he's, and they're just reflecting back, we were persecuted, yet we, never, we were never conquered, defeated, even though they attacked us like that. Verse 4, but God is good. How could we suffer all this persecution? How could their backs be laid open, plowed like a big field? And the next thing they have to say is God is good. Well, God is good because the promise he made in Exodus 17, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, that he'd bring them to this land and that he would deliver them, he did. Psalm 98.3 says, God remembered his promise. God never forgets his promise to his people. Do you ever forget your promise? Have you ever promised someone, hey, I'll never do that again, or I will do that again, or I'm going to do this every day, or being we're in church, how about this? (laughs) I'll pray for you. Well, I didn't say promise, but I gave you my word, okay? And then we go home and we forget all about it. Have you ever forgotten a promise? The Bible says God never forgets his promise. In Psalm verse 89, verse 8, it says, Faithfulness is your very character. God is always faithful to his promise, always faithful to his word, always faithful to his people. And when I was talking with Pastor Jeremy one day, I said, my idea of faithfulness is, If you look up the word faithfulness in the Bible, it's a picture of God, if that was possible. And Jeremy thought about it for a minute, and I love his insight because he said that's really not quite right because faithfulness is active. And just a picture looks so plain. God is actively faithful to you and I today, just as he was to the nation of Israel. In Psalm 56, verse 9, It says, when I cry unto the Lord, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is with me. Is God with you? The Bible says God is with me. All right, let me illustrate God with me. When Gwen and I, my wife, go to Costco or to Sam's Club, you have to have the membership card. You kind of have to show it to them when you go in. And every time we go, I I have my own card, by the way, all right? But every time we go, As we're walking in, Gwen is digging in her purse, getting out her card, and we walk in the door, Gwen holds her card up, and I just walk in beside her. Now, sometimes I go get the shopping cart, and she's already in. So I come in with my cart, and instead of getting my card out, my card out, 
I say, I'm with her. See, if I'm with her, all of the benefits that she has with the card are now mine. In fact, the other day, this is kind of like how bad it is because a week or so ago, we went and Gwen was going to return something and she had to go in this door and I was going to go in this door. And I thought, I'll just get my card out. That's no big deal. But Gwen actually took the time to come over to the other door and go, he's with me. You know what? When I'm with her, I get all the benefits. And God says he is for me. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Man, think of that. If God brought you to it, he can bring you through it. This is the kind of God we have. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 40 for just a minute this morning. And I want you to see the kind of God that we have. To whom then can we compare our God? What image might we find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or is a poor man's wooden idol better? Can God be compared to an idol that must be placed on a stand so it won't fall down? Have you never heard or understood? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? It is God who is above the circle of the earth. The people below must seem like grasshoppers to him. Have you ever been so high up and looked down and thought, ooh, they're small? It's a metaphor. God is so far above us. He looks and sees how small we are. He's the one who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes a tent for them. He judges the great peoples of the world and brings them to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and their work withers. The wind carries them off like straw. Now listen, this is God asking. To whom will you compare me? Who created all, excuse me, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up to the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out one after another, calling each one by name, and he counts them to see that none are lost or have ever strayed away. Our God is the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. Oh, Israel, how can you say that the Lord doesn't see your troubles? How can you say God refuses to hear your case? Have you never heard or understood? Don't you know that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creators of all the earth, He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to all the weak. Even youths become exhausted. Young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. This is our God This is the God that the people of Israel said, we've been persecuted, but they have not prevailed over us because God, the creator of the universe, we acknowledge his greatness and who he is. This is our God. Kind of hate to ask this question, 
But everything turned out good. God delivered them. So let me ask you this. Is God only good when everything turns out all right? Is God only good when everything turns out all right? Someone has cancer and they're cured. Oh, God is good. What if they aren't? What happens when someone dies from sickness? Is God still good? What happens in the midst of COVID if you lose your job? Is God still good? What happens when you're struggling in a relationship? Is God still good? I want to give you two illustrations this morning that I think illustrate the goodness of God even when things aren't going our way. One is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king had built an idol. And he said, everyone has to bow down to the idol. And if you do not bow down to the idol, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow down to this idol. And we know that our God can deliver us. Now that's positive. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Because God was good whether he delivered them or not. And then we can go to Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. And you've got all those heroes like Moses and Abraham and and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David and Daniel. And everything turned out good for them. But then you get to chapter, to verse about 30, and it says, but some were tortured. (laughs) I want to be with the other crowd. And some were mocked and some were whipped and some were in dungeons. Some were stoned and cut in half and killed with a sword and some were hungry Was God still good to them? I'll bet if we could talk to them today, they'd say yes, because they were looking at God Almighty, and they were not looking at themselves, and they had this hope that in in God and their joy was in Him. I read a story recently of two men who were in Sudan, and they were arrested for being Christians and thrown into prison without a trial or anything. And finally, after the abuse and, and a time there, they had a court date set, and these two men knew that one of two things would happen. They'd be executed or they'd be released. And the story says that they had peace about either and full well expected to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were at peace with it. And God was good even if they died. And the story went on to say, to their astonishment, they were released. They never expected that. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. How many of you read Habakkuk this week? (laughs) All right. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. Listen. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields are empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see... God's goodness doesn't depend on what's going around me. God's goodness depends on His faithfulness, His grace, His mercy. Not, not on me. All right, I know I have to hurry. What do I do when I'm afflicted? How do I handle it? The easiest thing to do is to go to my best friend and say, This is terrible. I can't take this. Or to go someone else and to complain and to gripe. But in the book of Psalms, um, and again, we don't know who this author is, he starts out and he says, I trusted the Lord from my childhood. 
but now I'm an old man, and I'm still trusting God. And because he's an old man, his enemies look at him as an easy target, and they're thinking to kill him or to persecute him, to afflict him. And he's crying out to God, and he says, Oh, God, don't stay away, my God. Please hurry and help me. I need you now, just like my mom needed to be rescued. And then look what he does. He says in verse 14 of Psalm chapter 71, I will keep on hoping for you to help me. And that isn't just standing there going, Boy, I hope God helps me. I hope God helps me. You know, in the book of Exodus, when he said, stand here, don't do anything, and watch the Lord deliver you, they stood there, they saw the armies coming, they were actively standing, hoping in the Lord. And this writer says, when I'm afflicted and when life is hard, my hope is in the Lord because I know who he is. He says, I will praise you more and more. Well, the more I get afflicted, the less I feel like praising God sometimes, and I struggle in myself. And this writer says, if you're afflicted, if you're struggling, praise God. He also says in verse 15, I'll tell everyone about your righteousness. When you're struggling with affliction, you want a cure for that? You start going around and telling people how good God is and how faithful he is. That's what he says he's doing. He says, all day long I proclaim your saving power. I'm overwhelmed by how much you've done for me. He says, I'll praise you. I'll praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. And he realizes that God is sovereign, and God allows or brings into his life everything that's happening. It's not by accident. I'll tell everyone that you alone are just and good. He says, your righteousness, your goodness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. He says, I'll praise you with music. I'll sing for you. I'll shout for joy. I'll tell about your wondrous deeds all day long. And if you're struggling, then you need to call on God. Bring your issues to him. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call upon me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. And we ask so little of God. And I would even go back to all the stories I told you today, how God, God, through singing, defeated the enemy, through holding up his hands, defeated the enemy, how through hail, defeated the enemy, how through parting the waters, he defeated the enemy. We need to ask God for great things. We limit God so much. He's the creator. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too hard for him. We need to go to him. God is always faithful to his promise. And he promised Israel, I will deliver you even though they, was, even though they were persecuted. They did not prevail over them. I would like this morning to tell you one more promise that God made, and he never forgot it, even though it took a long time to fulfill it. In Genesis chapter 3.15, man had sinned already, and God went and he talked to man. And in Genesis 3.15, if you read your Bible, it's the first promise God ever made to sinful man that he would send a redeemer to them. And when you get halfway through, more than halfway through the Bible, hundreds and hundreds of years, God fulfills his promise. And Jesus comes. God comes 
takes on himself the form of a man and he bears the penalty for my sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God always fulfills his promise and he said, I will send a redeemer and he sent a redeemer and made it possible for sinful man to be made right with him. Listen, I'd ask you today, have you been made right with God? Do you know Jesus, His Son, as your Savior? You can do that as easily as the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you call on God today? Listen, our hope, our confidence, our help, our salvation is in the Lord. He is always faithful. He always remembers his promises. And he is always good. Let's pray. Father, sometimes life around us seems so difficult, so impossible. And yet, you invite us to come. And I think of the poem, Thou art coming to a king. Great petitions would thee bring. For his grace and power are such. One can never ask too much. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for your faithfulness and that you always remember your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.